Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. It is I, Jeff Duoskin, your host of Classic Conversations, and your guide through this special bonus episode of Crossing the Streams. What is Crossing the Streams? It's where we answer the universal question, what should I be binge-watching next? I just finished something, and now I gotta watch something else. We've come to the right place. We go live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. There's over 100 hours of binge-watching TV suggestions for you on the YouTube channel, link in show notes. These bonus episodes are various segments from various live episodes. Maybe you don't got time to listen to 100 hours on YouTube. No problem, you just stay here and we feed the TV binge watching suggestions right into your ears. It's that easy. On my Monday episodes, I do interviews with pop culture legends. This past Monday, I talked to Howard Scott Warshaw, Atari 2600 game designing legend, Yars Revenge, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. Speaking of E.T., in Crossing the Streams Live Show 99, we talked about Atari Game Over. How is that for a tie-in? That's the movie that goes into the urban legend behind Howard Scott Warshaw's E.T. game of whether or not Atari buried them all in a desert. We're going to do that spotlight in just a few seconds. In this episode, we also have Blackbird from live episode 93 and Emily the Criminal from live episode 96. So much greatness waiting for you. But we're going to kick it off right now with Atari Game Over. I'm leading this one. Take it away, me. Okay, let's talk about Atari Game Over. So this is a documentary. This was a film released by Microsoft via Xbox in November 2014. So what is this movie about? It is First of all, it is on Tubi. It is free. You can watch it. It is 60 minutes. If you like video games and video game history, this is a great 60-minute documentary. Just cuts right to it. So the story is this. In the early 80s, E.T. comes out. And Atari, who is at this point one of the biggest and fastest growing companies of all time, decides they are going to do a E.T. video game to capitalize on Christmas. They recruit to build this E.T. game Howard Scott Warshaw. Mm. Howard Scott Warshaw was the developer of one of the greatest games of all time on top of many lists called Yars Revenge. When he joined Atari, this was his very first game that he built. And to this day, it tops lists as one of it. It was a million unit seller. He went on to then adapt Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was the very first movie that got adapted into a video game. For Atari, he adapted that and it became renowned for that and another million dollar seller. So while this was happening, E.T. comes in. Now, just to give you an idea, Yar's Revenge Hmm. took five plus months. Uh, Raiders of the Lost probably took closer to 10 An average game takes six to 10 months through all the process cycles before it's released to the public, okay? That includes testing, customer testing, everything. Mm -hmm. 
they get word from Spielberg that they have in their possession the most expensive movie license ever spent to date. And they have to release the game to make it for Christmas in five <laughs> weeks. Five weeks. Okay. Five weeks. So Howard Scott Warshaw is the only person that is willing to even attempt to take this on. This normal five to 10 month project in five weeks. So they uh, he meets with Spielberg again. They talk about the E.T. game. And in five weeks... He develops and he they release and they start to put into production the game for E.T. that came out that Christmas for the Atari 26 game system. If you're like me, you know, 12 year old Jeff, you probably bought it. Uh, you know, I was, you know, <laughs> Atari 2600 is where all my money went at that time. Trips to Toys R Us to get a video game was what I did if it wasn't in the aisle with all the Star Wars toys. So lo and behold, I mentioned in to Ad Nauseum the time frame of the games that were extremely successful and revered to this day to put into contrast the game E.T., which only took five weeks. So as you can maybe guess, the um, reception of E.T. was not glowing. While not everyone hated it, many did. Returns were many. They produced 4 million cartridges and sold 1.5 million after returns. So while perhaps still a success, it was deemed one of the (laughs) not-so-great games. Flash forward to the mid to late 90s, and the internet erupts, right? So now there's there's games, and there's lists, and there's people talk about things that have existed for the time frame of it. And so E.T. becomes renowned as the worst video game ever made ever, right? (laughs) And it's credited, wrongfully so, but that's a different discussion, with the complete demise of Atari and thus the entire video game industry. In the wake of all this, there's this rumor. And this rumor, it's a myth, it becomes urban legend, that Atari, to cover up this massive marketing misstep, in the middle of the Arizona desert in a landfill, dug a giant hole, buried every one of these Atari ET cartridges, and then covered it with cement, and then covered it with dirt, and then left. Are any of you even aware of this? This would have been yes. around 2014. I've never right? heard this before. Yes, it's okay. fascinating. I like so, this story. It's, uh, <laughs> now we don't even have to watch the documentary. Keep going. <laughs> The amazing thing is, is that Howard uh, Scott Warshaw developed what's considered one of the greatest games of all time, Yards of Revenge, and the worst games of all time. <laughs> but as you can tell, that the, the worst side of it was mostly based on the fact that they didn't really have time. So the documentary, Zach Penn is the uh, director of this documentary, and he was fascinated with it. Another person of note in this documentary, including Howard Scott Warshaw, is Ernest Klein. He wrote Ready Player One. And so he was of note. And then he was there. And so basically what's interesting is the movie sets itself up where they're trying, they have to find where these are buried because it's not like a landfill. Like it's like Bob's backyard where there's like, we can just dig right here. Right. I mean, it's miles of acres. I mean, it's just like an insane amount of land. The interesting thing about the documentary is they literally they find photographs from the time in a unique and interesting way. 
they kind of show, you know, the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where they find the medallion mm-hmm. and then he puts it together and then he holds the staff. Yeah. Yeah. And the sun comes through. They kind of did that with the photo to pinpoint <laughs> the basic location of where these Atari cartridges were buried. <laughs> and then they had to get permission from, they had to add a little drama to the documentary. They had, uh, well, the Arizona people, yeah. which was funny after watching Parks and Rec, it was a little bit, we have to be careful. <laughs> what if the uncovers some toxic things and suddenly there's, you know, we release these toxins and right, so there's a lot of fun, but, but then we decided it was okay. You know what I mean? Okay. So, <laughs> and so interestingly enough, they get these machines and it's fascinating just how they, prove to where the, it is they <laughs> dig down and bring up samples uh, from from like 30 feet down and the samples are like oh here's a newspaper from three days after that event right so now they oh and we found a piece of a an atari cartridge right and so they're like this is we've confirmed that this is the the location of it here's where i'm going to stop because all of it is uh is very interesting but whether the urban legend is true or not i'm gonna let you watch this video this movie on tubi it's 60 minutes if you just enjoy the lore and all that it's a fun watch and it's only an hour right but it's it's a really good documentary of this event and howard scott warshaw's there and you know he's like a celebrity at this point because he made the video game and it's like and so it's a whole thing and it's like a three-hour dig and they just document all of that and it's really interesting. It was really oh. interesting. Just uh, it's interesting because it kind of combines the whole ET, the mythos of it, the whole imploding of an industry. I mean, Atari was like the fastest growing industry like ever. It was a bit, and then it just died. Even the best games sucked. They were so bad <laughs> when you look back at them. You know, well, you come on, you got to put it in the context of the well, time. Yes, it, in the context, it was one app they, on your iPhone get. has probably a thousand times more yes, power I, I, than any game they did. I'm so, just, what, with what they had, um, it was fascinating and amazing of what I they love, could do. We That's, loved our Atari. Yeah, I have seen the uh, the ET game played, and it is horrid. Well, it's, right. it's well, so no bad. Well, no one's doubt. No one's no one's going to argue that it was of the time and there's story behind that. And well, story I have behind a question. That and, yes. Why take all the time to bury two and a half million cartridges in the desert? Just take them to a dump. Why did they bury it? Like, oh, no, it was a landfill. Oh, it was a landfill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but it was okay. then covered in cement. I'm not telling you whether the urban myth was true. You're saying not. that that's what was said happened, but we yeah, don't. it was what was said happened, and so I'm not going to give away the ending because it like. Okay. Ended I, really I am. Here's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a jerk tonight. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard. I had not heard the urban legend about it, all this stuff being buried under under cement and dirt and all that stuff. But I I am quite familiar with. How bad those Atari games were. Uh, remember, yeah. Remember, remember looking at the cover of them and going, "Wow!" Because the you know this was all airbrushed. You, you there was can no- say, but keep in mind, an entire industry and a world was fascinated by Pong. Yeah. Oh, right? I know. Which is just, <laughs> just two things going up and down and, and a dot going through. So it's like at the time. It was amazing. You can't look at Atari 2600 in today's eyes with anything but nostalgia and go, well, it's not. Well, of course it's not. Now you can have realistic 
NFL players right. playing Madden <laughs> football. Right. It's not yeah. even it's not even comparable. No, it's not. But the nerve the marketers had, the the cover <laughs> art of these things, yes. it was just unbelievable. Yeah. It yeah. was, you know, just the, you know, it was like uh what I don't know how to describe. You know what I'm saying? You look at this and go, Oh, I can't wait to <laughs> put it in as two <laughs> guys with hockey sticks. Clear. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, anyway, I if you love if you have nostalgia for the days of, of of video games when video games were just those innocent things of just dots. When my yes. biggest thrill was finding the Easter egg dot in the adventure game and bringing it around just to of find course that was a great dot. Uh, that was a great uh, game. I, I, I would that. play Pong today. I, I love that game. I'm sure you would. All right, that was Atari Game Over, pulled from live episode 99. Also check out episode 206 of Classic Conversations for my full in-depth interview with Howard Scott Warshaw. We go deep into all the Atari history. All right, up next, we have Emily the Criminal, brought to you by Ron Lippett from live episode 96. This one features special guest comedian Sue Kalinske. Take it away, Ron. I'm excited to hear about this. <laughs> Holy cow, you guys. So so first off, this was not served up to me by Amazon or Netflix or Hulu or any other streaming services. This was served up to me by our friendly friends up in the sky in Delta Airlines in their uh, you know new release section, which, by the way, I'll just say I, I find really interesting because to that very point, you can't see Emily the Criminal anywhere right now without paying for it. It, it was released in August. It had a budget of $1.7 million. It uh, yielded $2.2 million. <laughs> So this was a barely profitable endeavor, but it was picked up by Netflix. So this is going to be on the, the big board uh, in December. So I'm really actually excited about this. But this movie is so good that when I just flew to uh, California for my trip last week, I watched it on the way there. And I watched it on the way back because uh, there were things about it that I, I, I've been thinking about it nonstop. So let me start with this. Jeff, you mentioned you're an Aubrey, Pla- Aubrey Plaza fan. I'm just curious, why are you an Aubrey Plaza fan? From Parks, but you know, mostly because I love her clips from the late night shows. Yes, that she goes on. yes. Okay, so let me just say this. And White I, Lotus. And White Lotus. I, uh, I, yes. I, so I loved her also in Parks and Rec, right? And I, I think she's one of the most fascinating people I know. She's also, I have to tell you, one of the most like deranged people, like like legit crazy. You don't know what she's capable of saying or doing on any live show. I don't know why she would ever appear on anything live without some type of seven second delay uh, because you, you, <laughs> ju- you just don't know what she's capable of doing or saying on these shows. And so when I saw the... On Delta Airlines, when I saw the you know the preview for this stupid named show, Emily the Criminal, what it's a movie, and I'm like, that's a really stupid name for a movie, Emily the Criminal. I assumed it was a comedy, but there's nothing comedic about this movie. This is a very this is a very dramatic social commentary movie uh, about a young lady who is uh, absolutely laden with student debt and cannot get a- ahead of her of her debt load. And it asks the question of society and of the acting performance of Aubrey Plaza of what is the common person if pushed to certain limits, what are they capable of? 
Hmm. normally good person, person who's lived their life by the rules and done everything the correct way. Could somebody like that be pushed into, into being a, a, and if, if you can be pushed over that line, how far over that line are you willing to cross uh, once you, once you cross into that, into that world? And that's what this movie seeks to explore and answer. And I have to tell you, I was blown away by Aubrey Plaza's talent. Um, this is a, I, I did not give her full credit for, uh, for her true acting chops in retrospect. Now I've had a chance to, in preparation for today. I, you know, she did go to NYU and she was part of the Tisch uh, drama program. And like, this is, she went through the, the rigors of becoming a, 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 a prolific uh, actor. Uh, so it shouldn't surprise me that someone with those kinds of chops could, should be able to put together a dramatic role. I just, I just didn't know she had it in her. Uh, and she is amazing in this role. I have to say that one of the other things about Harvard Plaza I didn't realize is how athletic she is. <laughs> she is uh, an incredible, she did all her own stunts and uh, she did uh, an amazing job being physical and uh, dramatic at the same time. Theo uh, Rossi is in this movie. And for anyone who else is in uh, a Sons of Anarchy fan, uh, you might know um, Theo Rossi. He is exceptional in this movie, and he was he was part of the uh, production team as well. So Aubrey and Theo kind of built this thing. You'll be surprised to know that Gina Gershon makes a, a comeback yeah. performance uh, in this uh, in this movie. She has one role, one scene in the whole movie, but it's a kick ass scene with Gina Gershon. So uh, I'm really I'm really pleased to see that uh, that they uh, the budget they had that they were able to get get a couple of big bigger names into this. Uh, she hasn't and- been the same since. Elizabeth Berkeley knocked her down the stairs. I love that. I love <laughs> and 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 you know you know Ron's not uh, the Marvel guy in the group because he he went Theo Rossi and didn't go from Luke Cage. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. And if you pull up Theo Rossi, I mean he's got listen. This guy's got a, a ton of credits, right? Uh, but yes, he was. Uh, what is it? Hernan Sh- uh, Shades Alvarez. Is that what it is? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's in. A, he's been in a bunch of other things, and and, and he is super talented. You know, the th- funny thing about Theo Rossi is when you look at him, uh, you have no idea what nationality he is. <laughs> it's like in this movie, he happens to play somebody of Arabic descent, but you don't know. He could be anything, and uh, and that brings up another topic, which is Theo Rossi. He speaks uh, flawless Arabic in this movie. And guess what? Aubrey Plaza, flawless Spanish in this movie. Wow. Who knew uh, that uh, that she was bilingual? But uh, I do now because her father's Puerto Rican. But I had no idea that that was the case. But she is um, um, multilingual in that. I thought that was cool how they used it in the movie. So listen, I, I, I will just say this. I, I don't want to ruin the, the voyage that they take you on with this. Suffice to say, this is an exploration of characters and the possibility for change. And what that means, uh, not just to the people in the movie, but also what it means for society. What's what's the reflection that it has on, on all of us and how capable are each of us when pushed to do bad things? I really am excited for where this movie is going to go once it does stream. I am betting that uh, this will be one of those slow burn type of movies that kind of pick up a following once it's uh, streamable on Netflix. And uh, I am really, really glad I watched it. I've been thinking about it a lot and uh, I I think you guys will enjoy it too. So I hope you guys check it out once it's available to us on our uh, friendly uh, friends on Netflix. You you definitely had me at Aubrey Plaza because I love her. There's something so real and raw about her performances. And because yeah. I've been watching her, Jeff, you mentioned White Lotus, which mm-hmm. I'm deviating here, but I think it's so much better than last season. There's something that's really, really dark. And, and I'm, I'm only two episodes in, but oh my God, she is so good in that. 
Yeah. Well, the, fu- the funny thing is about White Lotus is I don't think my wife knew who Aubrey Plaza was. Oh, by the way, she's Puerto Rican. She mentions being from Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and, and White Lotus. I'm sitting there trying to explain to her, no, Aubrey is hilarious. She's one of the quirkiest, funniest people because it's so not the White Lotus character. It's she's like this boring reserve. Yeah. It's like, it's like, but yeah, she's good. She's good. It's it's. She just. Uh, I just saw her the other day. Uh, funny people with uh, Adam Sandler, Rogan, Jonah Hill was on, and she plays the woman that lives across the young woman that lives across the hall that Rogan wants to date, and uh, she's great in that too. So sarcastic. If you um, um, for so folks uh, for folks who are watching who don't actually know. Who Aubrey Plaza is. If you do Google her or go on YouTube, you're gonna get her her more famous clips of her on late night television, just as uh, Jeff mentioned a minute ago. And those are some of the most uncomfortable and hilarious segments. Like to the point that people like you know like like Kimmel and Fallon have no idea what to do with her. Like it's right. it's so weird and uncomfortable that they they just don't know what to, <laughs> how to handle it, and that makes it even funnier. And I think they knew that yeah. going in. Uh, but holy cow, when given the right script and and uh, the right opportunity to to really demonstrate her her talent. I I was really really very impressed by by her, and I'm going to be looking for her to do more stuff like that in the future. You were saying that you know how did they get this group of talent to be in this film and a great script, yeah. a great script. Actors, well known actors, will always do something if the script is great. That's and that's actually exactly why she signed on for it and exactly uh, why Rossi signed on for it as well. They said they both read the script together and they were like, we have to do this. This is a, this is a requirement. All right. That was Emily the Criminal. I think you come away with two things. One, watch Emily the Criminal and two, try and get as much Aubrey Plaza into your life as possible. White Lotus, Parks and Rec, and there's so much more. All right, you got a lot, a lot of homework piling up, but we got one more to go over with you today. That's right, from live episode 93, Tony Berardo from the Berardo Podcast is taking us through a Blackbird. Take it away, Tony. Let's go to uh, Blackbird. Let's go to Blackbird. This is an Apple TV show. Usually Ron covers Apple TV. <laughs> but foreign correspondent Tony Berardo is going to take us through Blackbird. <laughs> Hello, thanks for thanks for tuning in. If you notice to the left, there'll be a nice cold precipitation coming in. So yeah, Blackbird. Uh, I got to tell you, I was not. I was not like really itching to see this. It took me a while to get into it. And um, I really wanted to watch it because I love um, Taron Eckhart. Is that how you say his name? Eckerton? Egerton? Ed- Edgerton. Edgerton. Edgerton, Edgerton yeah. Because, you know, he's the Kingsman, right? He's the man. And Egg- I was like, Eggie. yeah, and I was like, eh, you know, he's kind of a kid in that. Like, it's, you know, I love those movies. They're great. But I'm like, I'm not, I don't think this is going to be that good. So anyway, I turn on episode one, me and the wife, and we sit down and I'm like, oh, okay. This is interesting. And the whole idea behind it is, you know, he's kind of this badass uh, sports guy, jock, hardcore type, likes to do drugs. And I almost curse there, fornicates with a lot of women and does some wild, wild stuff and eventually gets arrested, spoiler alert. And when he's in jail, he gets this uh, deal where uh, if he can convince a serial killer, known serial killer that's actually inside jail, inside the psych ward where all these crazy people are, if he can convince the serial killer to admit that he did these crimes, then he'll actually go free. And uh, if he doesn't do this, then that said that said criminal would actually be let loose because they don't have enough evidence on him. And apparently this is uh, loosely based on a true story 
you could look it up, but it's the serial killer uh, Larry Hall. I try to find some correlation. There's a, a lot of things that are either fabricated or just like anything else, but like the nuts and bolts of the story is there. So the fact that that is true, some of this is true, is pretty incredible. But um, I thought Edgerton did an incredible job acting. I was very impressed throughout this entire series. The last like three episodes for me were like, whoa, like this dude could really, really act. And not only is it for me, the way he can get jacked and ripped and be the next Wolverine, I'm calling it right now in my book. That dude needs to be the next Wolverine in a reboot. But uh, his acting as a whole, just from zero to 100, you see him being this like jock kind of like guy that you think is going to go through this entire thing, cocky, not really caring. And then you see him evolve and see his character evolve. And contrast to him is, I forget the guy's name, but he was in that Clint Eastwood movie about uh, the bomber. He's the villain in this movie. Has anybody seen this, by the way, Blackbird? No, no. no. Oh. I'm, I'm very interested in it, though. Oh, Have my God, seen, yeah. Zach, Paul, you've Paul, seen that? No, Paul, I haven't, actually. His name's Paul Walter Heiser. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So he's in, what's that movie with that Clint oh, He's in uh, Cobra Kai. Well, that, he's, uh, oh. yeah, he's in the uh, movie about the uh, Atlanta Olympic. Oh, oh, oh he's uh, the bomber guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I keep, I forget that name. But anyway, that he was incredible in that movie, right? He's, he's great in everything. He's even more incredible in this. Like, I didn't think he could get better, but he plays this very sadistic serial killer that you Richard kind Jewel. of. Richard. Thank you. That's who, yeah. Richard Jewell, yeah. That great movie. And during this series, you kind of like think that this guy is innocent. And then halfway through, you're like, no, he did it. And then he goes back and, well, maybe he didn't do it. Like, and you're on this roller coaster where you don't exactly know if he did it or not. So who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? Maybe he's innocent. And you kind of feel for both characters as they evolve. And I think it's only like nine episodes, but it is ex- extremely good. Like probably one of the best series I've seen um, in quite some time in terms of like a drama. Uh, very impressive. So I would definitely see it. Incredible acting, great story. And it's a true story. A lot of it is. So yeah, definitely check it out. Sounds nice. great. Yeah, he was in uh, I, Tanya. He was in uh, that show, Kingdom, make martial arts show that I Kingdom, talked about right. way yeah. back uh, when we started doing. He's got a big show, part yeah. of Cobra Kai. Yeah, he's he's, he's in really Black Klansman. He was great in that. Yeah, I don't think I saw that. Black Very good. Oh, Black Klansman. Oh, you got to see Black. That's Klansman. a great movie. Oh my god. Yeah. That's so good. Oh, oh my yeah. god. Spike yeah. Lee? Oh my god. Yeah, Spike Lee. Ooh. Yeah. Oh wow. my god. So Ray Liotta's in your show. Oh. Oh, Blackbird. Yeah, of course. I didn't want to mention him because he actually passed away. That's kind of heartbreaking for me. Yeah, it was tough. Because they, they did a nice tribute Way to him. Way to but... scrape open a wound, Jeff. Sorry. Good job, Jeff. Sorry. Pour lemon juice in it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it, it is incredible because like he's that's his last acting bit, too. To, so to see him in a totally different light. Um, you've never seen Ray Liotta like this either. Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's a good show, man. Yeah, you got to watch it. Tony, Ron, tell it. me about your grandparents. <laughs> 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 they remind me of Ray Liotta. All right, that was Blackbird. Thank you, Tony Barardo. I have to say this episode is full of three suggestions that I have seen all three and can't highly recommend them all enough. Blackbird was one of my favorite series to watch on Apple in a long time. Emily the Criminal was a great movie. Atari Game Over, loved. You got lots of homework, so I'm gonna let you go. Go hop on the couch, grab your remote, cross your own streams, and we'll see you next time. 
Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.